Hi, I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. In our final quarter of the year, we're covering the topic education. Yes. And this week we're in this lesson five titled Jesus as the Master Teacher. Obviously, which, which is kind of a part A yes. and part B or part one yes. and two. Because when you get to the next week, so I don't want to give too much ahead, but uh, drum roll please, it's called More Lessons from the yes, Master right. Teacher. So really this is a, uh, this two weeks together are going to uh, fit hand and glove very nicely. And so uh, we're excited about this one. And um, Pastor Howard, you want to kind of walk us through what are, yes. what are we going for this week? Well, so as I got into the lesson, Jesus is the Master Teacher, it becomes evident right away that it, it, we're... Because it doesn't really get into his teachings per se. I mean, mm-hmm. that little thing that the first and foremost approach is Jesus as the master teacher by example. Mm. Like what his whole essence of his mission was in ministry in the way he conveyed himself, really revealing the character of God to humanity. That's mm-hmm. what the lesson uh, is about. And you can, uh, you can see that if you go on Sabbath afternoon's lesson, halfway through the second paragraph, it says, In sending his son to this planet... The Father sent the Master Teacher on a mission to show humankind his face. And the lesson brought up an example where uh, Billy Graham had been in a, a medical hospital and there was a soldier who never saw the face of the general. Right. And it was just he wanted to see who he was, whose just side he was glimpse. on. Yeah. So it draws from that and says in the same way, God wanted to reveal him, himself to humanity so we could look in the face of God. It says, ever since we have had the wondrous privilege of beholding the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, drawing from Amen. our memory verse. As we watch the master teacher make his way to the earth, what can we learn from him? So that sets the tone. So we're looking week. for those lessons from the master teacher, and that's going to be our burden this week. But before we do any study of God's word, let's start with a word of prayer. Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to go over this material. Please, Lord, let our time together be a blessing and to help the Sabbath school classes to be a blessing as well to all those who are leading and participating, have anything to do in contact with this study, Lord. Let us all be edified, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, before we dive into each element, let's kind of take a 30,000-foot view and outline for us what are the three main talking points this week. Okay, well, they're under that umbrella of Jesus revealing the character of God to humanity. Okay. The first one is Jesus is the light of the world. Now, the lesson doesn't even delve too far into the, 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 the main passages on this, but it, it it's covers the concept, that topic. And, we're gonna, yep. that, and we'll talk about that. Number one, Jesus is the light of the world. I drew that from Sunday and Monday. Um, okay. Number two, God's glory is his humility. I drew that from Tuesday and Thursday's lesson. And finally, God's aim is reconciliation, and I drew that from Wednesday's lesson. So, number one, Jesus is the light of the world. Number two, God's glory is his humility. And number three, God's aim is reconciliation. And again, a reminder that these little outlines are available right here at michigansspm.org, and they'll be uh, downloadable and reviewable, and to please use them as you see fit or modify them as your needs may be. But we're going to go through them now one by one. Let's start with that number one, Jesus is the light of the world. Well, hearkening back to lesson number one, the first lesson this quarter, we learned that Adam and Eve's sin was a res- was actually um, prompted by a distrust of God when the serpent came into the garden and mm-hmm. put that element of doubt. Mm-hmm. And that fallen humanity now has that built in, this mm-hmm. distrust of God. And so one of the things that was highlighted in that first lesson was that... Um, 
the primary goal of education then is to re-educate humanity in regard to the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're seeing as Jesus is the master teacher that just in coming to this earth, he came to reveal the goodness of God, mm. which was essential to happen. Now, it's interesting that the, the lesson brings out 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it goes through verses 1 through 6. I want to zero in on verses 3 and 4. In fact, verse 4 especially. It says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That's kind of a... Well, typical Pauline passage. Yes. This of this of this of this. So the, let's break yes. it down a little bit. What is he really saying? The light here? of the so the gospel. The interesting thing to me that grabbed me is we talk about the gospel a lot. We know gospel means good news. Now right. he describes the good news here in a very particular terms. The gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ. And we talked before in here about how it's glory character. in the Bible represents yeah. the character of Christ, who is the image of God. And the lesson draws that out as well. Um, one of the places is in Hebrews where it talks about he's the express image of the Father's character. Mm -hmm. And the word used in the Greek has to do with the, the kind of a, a, an imprint that's made by a, like a steel tool like a or, something, or something, and yeah. an impress, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that Paul is saying the gospel, the good news, really is about the character of Christ, who is the image of God. So in other words, the character mm -hmm. we see in Jesus really is revealing to us the character of God, and this is the essence of the gospel. So that's interesting. So the good news is that character of God, but it's seen in that reflection, which is Christ, or that impress, that's which is right. Christ. Okay. Exactly. So you have that, that uh, again, that's from our first lesson. We saw that the devil distorted the character of God in the minds of people, mm -hmm. and God is set about to restore that image to un bring our understanding of that. And Another thing the lesson brings out, and it goes to John chapter 1 and verses 14, it says the word was made flesh and dwelt among, us, mm -hmm. uh, dwelt among us. And then it says in verse 18, it talks about Jesus being in the bosom of the Father, and only he who is in the bosom of the Father can declare him. Yeah, that is kind of a, <laughs> another odd phrase this time. And, you know, well, it's interesting because I looked through several translations and you'd think that the modern, more modern translations would say something other than bosom. It's just right. not. And they don't. It's still that. And, yeah. and, and a couple do. But then they say, instead of the bosom of the Father, by the side of the Father, which really doesn't convey. No, there, there's a deeper, I mean, bosom yes. seems to not, <laughs> some of our, maybe our anti-Trinitarian friends would say, oh, that shows a created yeah. thing that there was one time. Yeah. But I don't think it's saying that either, clearly. But there is an, there's a closeness with the Father and the Son. Yeah, uh, the same passage that says bosom just happened to start out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the, oh, word the Word was, was God. God. Right. Exactly. So we're not denying his godness here, but we're, emphasizing, I think that the author is emphasizing the closeness of the members yes. of the Godhead, that they are shared character, shared perspective, and they are, only Christ would know how to accurately portray that because he is one with the Father. Well, yeah, John 13 is, a, is an interesting passage where, you know, the Lord's Supper and they're gathered around the table, mm -hmm. and it uses that same phrase when John the disciple was leaning against Jesus' breast, and mm. it says against his bosom. bosom yeah. In other words, he was leaning. You, you see the intimacy there. Right. There's a That's tightness, what's being closeness. conveyed. Yes. There was an intimacy. And so the, what John the Revelator is saying is, uh, or, or the gospel author is saying, that Jesus, because he had that intimacy, yeah. um, and he had that intimacy from eternity. Right. And that qualified him uniquely for this uniquely, task exactly. of showing the light of God to the world. Right. Only Jesus could be that one to reveal um, right. the glory of the Father. Mm -hmm. And that... Uh, drew my attention to Desire of Ages, page 22, 
Uh, and then a little piece from 19, I put it in our notes here. Uh, you want to read that for us? Sure. It says, the earth was dark through misapprehension of God. And that just means a misunderstanding. Right. That the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God, Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. God's character must be manifested in contrast to this character of Satan. This work only one being in all the universe could do. He, only he who knew the height and depth of the love of God could make it known. To this sin-darkened earth, he came to reveal the light of God's love to be God with us. Now, that's a mm. couple powerful passages, and I just, it was very hard for sake of brevity. I put to it try. that way. <laughs> exactly. Go back to Desire of Ages, and that, that expands that yeah. chat from 19 to 22 and beyond. But I love that idea that only he who knew. Like, yes. he's uniquely suited because he is of God himself. Who else is going to reveal that's God? Right. I mean, and who knows the mind of God? Right. You know? So the whole concept of it is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And even to the point, and I put in the lesson that uh, this passage isn't in the lesson either, but in John 17, as Jesus prays to his Father, mm -hmm. and he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, Christ whom you have you've sent. And then he says to his Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you sent me to do or given me to do. Mm. This is before the cross. So it's amazing that Jesus could say, even before Calvary, the work is finished. And how is it finished? Because I've glorified you in the earth. I've mm. declared, I've shown, I've revealed your character. That just <laughs> I can imagine the frustration with his disciples when they're like, hey, if you could just show us the Father. I mean, we've yeah. seen you and all, but he was like, have I not been with you? I have That's done right. this. You've seen me. Anyway. Well, the lesson, the lesson made a point of that and said that uh, before we are too hasty with Philip, who said that to Jesus... How long have we been with the Father? Mercy. And, and, and we, don't, <laughs> we, don't. we often react in a way that says we don't understand his character. Mm. So it's a powerful, so Jesus, the whole idea of being the light of the world, you know, Jesus declared himself the light of the world. You can see that in at least these four passages, John 8, 12, John 9, 5, John 11, 9, John 12, over 46, over. Yeah. that Jesus says he's the light of the world, that the idea of that, you know, we can't see anything in darkness. We, we, we've modified equipment, so we've got, infrared and stuff like that but our eyes don't see things in darkness light helps us to conceptualize helps us to more than concept helps us to see things that we wouldn't see otherwise sure. and so jesus the idea of him being the light that lights every man comes into the world as it says in john one and the lesson did bring that up mm -hmm. it means he, without jesus revealing the character of the father we could not understand spiritual things we couldn't understand obviously the nature of god and who he is so just the idea that Jesus came to give that light, that understanding to spiritual things. And he didn't finish with that. In Matthew yeah. 5, he says, You are the light of the world. Right. Which, if you were to use that phrase, like, who's the light of the world? And it typically, yes. well, clearly Jesus. Yeah. But then Jesus says, okay, you've seen me. Yeah. And through that, you've seen the Father. Now they need to see me through you. You are the light. Yes. So there's a derivative nature of this light that well, one that shines on. Well, that speaks to the and, idea yeah. of a teacher. That's right. And he came not only to do it a one-off event or something like that, but to actually reflect it to us so that we could in turn reflect it to others and that's it would exactly go forward right. around the world. So Amen. that's fascinating. All so right. number two is God's glory is his humility. Now I flip these around. I, I see this reflected in Tuesday and Thursday's lessons, starting with Thursday. Mm -hmm. Thursday actually talks about the first students of, of the master teacher and, and you know draws that out through the shepherds that... We're and you would think maybe he was talking about the disciples, but this is going all the way back That's to right. Jesus coming here at Jesus all. Jesus' birth, yeah. mm -hmm. the shepherds and the wise men. Mm -hmm. And 
And then it moves on to Philippians 2, which talks about the condescension of Christ who did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but he left basically all of heaven mm-hmm. and humbled himself and became mm-hmm. obedient to it. So starting with the, the shepherds, you know, you, you think of what anybody would expect. If you, if you believe that God was going to come to this earth, how would you expect him to come? Yeah. And, of course, they thought the earth, the king with all the, you know, you know pomp right. that a king would come with. And the angels knew that, so the angels actually even had to give that little, oh, by the way, this is going to be a sign to you. He's going to be, you're going to find your Messiah wrapped in swaddling cloths mm-hmm. and lying in a feed trough as a baby. <laughs> yeah. And that was, the angels, otherwise they wouldn't have, like, where is They wouldn't know to he? look there. Yeah, they <laughs> right. weren't looking for the right thing, yeah. But you think of how that spoke to them of the, the, the monarch yes. of the universe and then, of course, the lesson brings up the wise men as well. Similarly, yeah, because imagine what they were thinking. They're getting, look at the gifts they brought, yes. gold and frankincense. They're, they're kings. Up. Exactly. They're, they're, they're seeing an, an astronomical sign of this great king, and they're bringing all these gifts, and they're, like, directed to a yes. humble house with these people with a baby. Yes. And it was, uh, and, and their first stop is the king's house, right? They first go to the king, and they say, well, That's right. where's the king? Like, the What's his king? king? Exactly. Yes. So everyone has this, the shepherds, the wise men, we learn on down the line, Jesus' own disciples, his mother, even John the Baptist, is, they all have this misconception that God is trying to correct yes. through the example of Christ's humility, his birth, his life, all of that yes. is a corrective teaching tool to our misunderstanding of God and his plans. Uh, and a misunderstanding of true greatness. Yeah. So you have those, it's, you know, the shepherds were, were humble shepherds. Mm. And so to ha- be brought into contact and see their Messiah born in such humble circumstances connected that them. Really that really had way. to stir them. Yeah. And then you have the 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 amazing thing to me is the wise men were kings mm. from the Orient, and to see them coming and the, the Bible says they bowed down and worshipped mm. before this baby, like they saw that their greatness was nothing compared to the greatness that's found in the Powerful. humility mm. of Christ. And and again, that's where. To me, that's God's glory is His humility. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to understand. Uh, well, let's flesh that out a little bit more because the lesson goes to Philippians two and verse okay, five. Okay, yeah, that's the the quintessential oh, well, you, Christ yeah, humility. You, well, I was just thinking of the prophecies of the coming Jesus too, where yes. in Isaiah chapter 50, 53, it says in verse two, "For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him." Yeah. Now. You think of all the different ways Christ could have come to demonstrate the power, the sovereignty, the yes. might of God, and just light. And But he chooses to lay all of that, which he could have resourced aside, yes. and instead comes through the humility of simplicity and honesty and, and uh, that transparent character. Uh, you mentioned how the, even the kings had to recognize yes. this is of a different nature. This That's is right. something higher, something better. So uh, I'm always stirred by the fact that the way Christ could have come could have matched all those expectations That's right. and exceeded them, but he went a whole different direction with it to give us a model of true humility. That's right. And that spoke to, I mean, I'm thinking all through the ministry of Christ, I think of Christ before Pilate. You mm. know, Pilate was awakened in the middle of the night. He okay, here comes some rabble rouser. I've had this happen before. Mm-hmm. Pilate was ready. I don't care if he's guilty or not. I'm going to condemn the guy and send him down so I can get back to bed. It's mm. And and Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that when he saw Christ, mm. and, and well, the Bible also is very clear on this, that he 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 didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. And when he heard the accusations, don't you hear what these men are accusing you of? Just the demeanor of Christ right. was striking. 
and he knew immediately that this is an innocent man. Mm -hmm. He saw the character, you know, so the character of God is so evidenced in humility. Um, because of our limited time and talking points, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go to Philippians 2.5, but I certainly would in the class. Yes. It, it's an awesome passage. But the essence of it is this, that you see Christ, again, humbling himself. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. I mean, you think about that. What is robbery? Robbery is when you take something that isn't yours. What the passage is saying is, yeah. Jesus didn't think taking divinity to himself would have been robbery because yeah. it's his. He owns it. He's God. And so yet, being God, he laid aside. Yes. Like, we can lay aside things and be humble, but to what degree? Yeah. And so we see the epitome of that in Christ. Again, speaking to the idea that true humility is true mm. greatness. Yes. Mark 10, Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Yeah. He was telling his disciples in that passage that this is what you see in the world, but true greatness is found in serving. Amen. And so that well, element then, of God's character is, is key. Well, do we want to go here now? Because yes. the idea is sometimes when we talk about humility, yes. it lends towards the direction of meekness weakness, and even. Then it becomes weakness. Then it becomes very mm. like reclusive and passive. And, and all of a sudden... We have no backbone, we have no push, we right. have no anything. And we're no, just biblical kind of, humility, that means you just people walk over you and do whatever you... Well, I, it's, I'm thinking just right now in the moment about how when Christ stepped in with the whip of cords, you know, yes. that was not passive, that was quite active, no. but he wasn't whipping people. What got their attention was, was his bearing, his countenance. But that wasn't a departure, and that's, that's what I'm saying. It, it wasn't, wasn't a departure from humility. It's no, like no, how no. He was mum, humble most of the time, except for that no, time no, no, he was No, no, but wasn't. that's what I'm saying. That humility is still evidenced in a confidence he knew well, who he was, and he knew what was right and wrong, and he could stand there, and Mrs. White talks about how that those people felt like they're going to feel at the judgment day, staying before yes. the, uh, the eye of God, who knows they're is powerful. Anyway. But let's speak to humility in that, yeah. because, you know, the Bible says the disciples of Christ saw that, and the scripture came to their mind, the zeal of thy house has eaten, eaten me, me up. up. Okay? Humility means you're, it's, it has to do with selflessness. Mm -hmm. Jesus was not being selfish when he cleansed the Absolutely temple. Absolutely not. It was God's honor and God's dignity. and that, So that's the idea. Sometimes we say, you know, well, I don't know. I think humility is just being kind of passive. But there are many situations where being passive is being selfish. Mm. I sit in a board meeting, mm. and I'm there to stand up for God and stand up for truth and right, but I'm not going to speak up. Why? Because I'm being passive and humble? No, because I'm being self-centered because I don't want to be the bad guy. Right, and that's actually a self-preservation thing. Exactly. You're like, being cowardly is not courageous. Yeah. And so there's this powerful statement from Gospel Workers, page 290, where Ellen White says this, she says, Christian life is more than many take it to be. It does not consist wholly in gentleness, patience, meekness, and kindliness. These graces are essential, but there is need also of courage, force, integrity, perseverance. Some who engage in missionary service are weak, nerveless, spiritless, easily discouraged. They lack push. Mm. They have not those positive traits of character that give power to do something. They should cultivate not only the passive, but the active virtues. So the passive, the kindliness, the patience, mm -hmm. the but the active virtues, the courage, the, the, uh, mm -hmm. the force, the energy she talked about. While they are to give the soft answer that turns away wrath, they must possess the courage of a hero to resist evil. With the charity that endures all things, they need the force of character that will make their influence a positive power. All of that mm. is humility. 
because it's not self-seeking, and that's so. It's, right. You need to have a biblical view. Of you can humility have a and strong a, humility, yes. just like Christ did. Powerful stuff. Well, we only have a few minutes left. Should we get into our number three point here? Yes. All right. God's aim is reconciliation. So, of all, his purpose of coming here wasn't right. just Why to show off the glory of God. He wanted yeah. to do this something is my with character. it. It's great. Like, did you see it? Yeah. Good. Now I'm going to go home. No, no. no. <laughs> He had a plan with it, which involved this reconciliation idea, this redemption. So let's talk about this a little bit. Why is there even a need for reconciliation? Well, as the lesson brings out, there's a broken relationship between God and man that happened through the fall of man. Okay. And obviously, it's the idea of reconciling is you've got two estranged parties and you're bringing them back together. Atonement is the same concept, at one bringing back together. So mm -hmm. you've had a, this relationship has been fractured between God and man. So thus the need of a... Reconciliation, the only thing is, if you have had a need for reconciliation with friends, with some human or frenemies, you know, yeah. or you've had this fact, the reason, one of the hindrances to that is, I don't know if I can approach them, right? And so thus the revelation of God's character to say, I'm safe to approach. Well, one difference also is in human experiences, nine times out of ten, there's not one person who's just abjectly at fault and the other person probably innocent. There's both got some skin in the game, that's right? That's right. But the reconciliation that's being discussed for the biblical or this broken relationship we yes. talk about isn't like <laughs> we both went different ways yes. and we both need to reconcile in the middle. And it's not a mystery what happened. The Bible pretty clear. Exactly. It's the Bible is clear. clear. In fact, that's Isaiah 59, right? Yes. Verse 2 is what happened is our sin has separated us from God, right. right? Our iniquity is what has hardened that relationship. That's exactly separate. right. So... It's not and, like, and all right, I was wrong, you were wrong, let's both meet in the middle. And let's no, no, be no. <laughs> clear about iniquity and sin. It, okay. it, at its core level, it's simply rebellion. So it wasn't God who rebelled. We rebelled against God. That's what fractured the relationship. I mean, mm -hmm. that'll fracture any relationship. <laughs> you rebel against somebody, you could traitor to them or whatever, that's going to fracture relationships. It tends that, to harm the relationship, yes. So that has to be addressed in a reconciliation. Right, and so exactly. So it's not like... Let's just put everything behind like we didn't, like it never happened, and we'll just come in there in the middle. We have to deal with the fact that he's right and we're wrong, and the That's reconciliation right. brings us back into right harmony with him. Doesn't just bring us, you know, generically back together, whatever that means. It means we have to be reconciled to him. That's right. And that is a consistent thread. The lesson goes to 2 Corinthians 5, but that is the consistent thread in the passage. I'm picking up in verse 18, and it says, Now all things are of God or from God. And this is important to note that the reconciliation is God's initiative. It's not man's. God takes the entire initiative. Mm. We're already told that there's nothing in the carnal heart that even desires God. If, if, mm. if reconciliation was left up to me or you, and we said, well, you've got to come to me, God says, and then I, it would never happen. It couldn't happen. So all things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, he's talking about him and the apostles. You're going to see this in a minute. He's reconciled us, and then he's given us the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile others. And this is what it is, verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, just like he was pleading through Christ, we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, there's more to the passage, but... What a powerful picture of the mercy of God. Because I'm thinking, yes. like, there's these two parties that were once in harmonious unity, right? But humanity took the initiative in rebellion. 
Yes. Like God didn't start that up. We That's right. Went, and you would think from a logical standpoint, well, then they need to be first ones to take a step back. But the beauty of God's mercy is not only was he the aggrieved party who has every right to sit here and say, well, you come back to me when you're good and ready, yes. you know, but he then takes the initiative to repair the relationship that we broke. That's right. And from a, to me, that's a, there's a powerful picture of the love and mercy of Very God. Very powerful. Though we were the ones who sinned, he's the one who initiated the redemption, the the reconciliation. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so this in this, uh, there's a little frustration here for me because I've heard there's confusion on this passage, and I've heard this hmm. passage explained in various ways, but kind of this way, that there's this reconciliation needed. And so on the one part, God has to be reconciled to man, and then man has to be reconciled to God. And that when God offered Jesus, that's what he did. He kind of reconciled himself to man, and that part's done. And now, hmm. and, 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 and I'm going to yeah. tell you, and, and perhaps you've heard it, the passage does not read that way. The passage is always one way. God did not need to reconcile himself to man. No. It was always man. Man ran from God. God didn't run from man. Right. It was always man. People will say, well, legally he needs to. I'm telling you, it's not in the passage. The reconciliate. And, and furthermore, I need to make this point. That is out and out paganism. That's what pagan, every Mercy, pagan so religion yeah. is that we have got to get reconcile ourselves yeah. to the God. The God that whoever it is, Zeus, Apollo, whatever, yeah. is angry. This petulant, And we have got to God. appease that yeah. God. And once that's out of the way, and we say, oh, no, 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 we don't have to appease God. God appeased himself by Jesus. That's paganism. Mm. And the, the, a couple passages here, first of all, from the, uh, God was, notice it doesn't say God was reconciling himself to the world. It says he was reconciling the world to himself. Mm -hmm. God took the initiative, as you said. And I have a couple passages here from, uh, this is first from the SDA Bible commentary, and then a couple passages from Steps to Christ. SDA commentary on 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Reconciliation involves no change on God's part, for God never changes. It is not God who needs to be reconciled to man, but man who needs to be reconciled to God. Mm. There has never been enmity on God's part. Mm. And we see that exemplified. Maybe you want to read that first statement from Steps sure. of Christ. Sure, page 13, Steps of Christ. Yeah. This great sacrifice was not made in order to create in the Father's heart a love for man, not to make him willing to save. No, no. The Father loves us not because of the great propitiation, but he provided the propitiation because he loves us. That's right. And uh, just a few pages later, page 35, we have not to reconcile God to us, but, oh, wondrous love, Christ, uh, God in Christ is reconciling the world unto himself. Awesome. Wow. Whew. That's, God took it, the initiative. We really took one thing away from this lesson. Yes. That is a, an vital point we got to focus God on. has, ever since the fall, God has been seeking to reconcile man to himself, and he gave everything he possibly could in giving his son to come and... And what did Jesus mm. do? Come back to God. And now mm. the apostle says, now Jesus has committed that to us. Mm. And we're saying the same thing to people. Come back to God. Be reconciled. And through this process, as we kind of come to a close here, that yes. this reconciliation isn't just between humanity and God, just those two parties. That's but right. by healing that, it actually reconciles the whole created universe right. back to the order in which it was established. And because that's the devil said thought. God was never able to forgive sin. And mm. so how God's dealing with sin, the whole universe is like, how's this working out? It's revealing things about his character to them. That's right. So even the unfallen angels, you know, look to that and the reconciliation. Lesson brings that out. Exactly. And so 
I would make sure to hit that point that it's not just these two parties in isolation, but this is the centerpiece of this reconciliation plan for the whole universe. Yes. And God is going to do a work that will never be undone when it's completed. So it's exciting to be part of that. That's right. The lesson in, on Wednesday's lesson says, the work of reconciliation that God accomplishes through Christ is cosmic in scale. Yes. Impacting all things, using the language of scripture, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by may making peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Mm. So Amen. finally, that reconciliation is committed to us. Mm. Like, again, in the role of a teacher, Jesus came to teach us, this is what I did, now this is what I want you to do. And he's asked us to be ministers of reconciliation. Maybe you can read that last little statement in Fundamentals of Education 369. Sure. Christ suffered in order that through faith in him our sins might be pardoned. He became man's substitute and surety, himself taking the punishment, though all undeserving, that we who deserved it might be free and return to our allegiance to God through the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. He is our only hope of salvation. Through his sacrifice, we who are now on probation are prisoners of hope. We are to reveal to the universe, to the world fallen and to the world's unfallen, that there is forgiveness with God, that through the love of God, we may be reconciled to God. Amen. Amen. Mark, you want to close us with prayer today? Yes, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Father, we just thank you for the wonderful revelation of who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. You poured out all heaven in that one gift. And Lord, by your grace, Lord, it'll be worth it. And I say that for those of us sitting here, but the, how many uh, people around us don't yet know this wonderful news of a Savior. Hmm. And Father, we don't want the sacrifice of Jesus to be in vain. Help us to learn the lesson from our master teacher of what your character's like and how we can communicate that character to those in this world around us as we look forward to the soon return of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.